Hey, good morning, everyone. You know, the first service, I just said, I really don't care about this day because the Bills aren't in the Super Bowl. I got booed. You're like, whoa, Pastor, tell us how you really feel. You know, so anyways, if you're, you know, KC fan, like Brandon's family, you know, they're always there, you know. All right, good for KC, you know. But uh, we're so glad that you're uh, here with us this morning. And uh, we're, we're in a series looking at lies that we can easily believe and and I think what happens is in our lives, um, we have to come to the realization that the person that you lie to the most is who? Is yourself. Yeah. And so it's easy to do that. And we want to look at things in our world that we can easily receive that are really just lies. And how do we overcome them? How do we overcome them with uh, the truth of God's word? And, and so we've been looking at these different things. And one of the things we've been looking at is how do I overcome my past regrets or my past guilt or bad decisions that I've made? How many of you, you have never, ever made a bad decision in your life? Okay, good. We're all on the same page here. How many people online have never made a bad decision? We've, we've all made, can we all, can we all agree? Say amen if you agree. We've all made bad decisions. Amen. And see, and, and all of us, we have these past regrets and mistakes and, um, and they can come back to haunt us. Have you ever had this, like you're having a great day, everything's going wonderful, and all of a sudden you have this thought from something in your past that all of a sudden just takes over your mind? Maybe it's something last week, maybe it's last month, maybe it was years ago, and all of a sudden you think, where did that come from? Why did that thought all of a sudden come into my mind? And your heart becomes heavy, and then maybe guilt begins to flood your mind and your heart. These are horrible burdens to carry, and our guilt can overwhelm us. And so my prayer for you today is that you will find freedom from your past, and you can find that freedom in your relationship with Christ. And I hear this a lot. I hear people say a lot, how can I find forgiveness for the things that I've done? And um, can I just forgive myself? Or I can't forgive myself for the things that I've, I've done. And all of us have made poor choices. And we live with those choices. And we live with the consequences of the poor choices that we've made. But how do we walk beyond and, and, and not allow our lives to be captivated by the guilt and to move forward in our lives and not allow our past or our past decisions to define who we are? And I'm going to be honest with you this morning, the only answer that I can find is in Christ Jesus. And we're going to see that today. And what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul um, struggled with this very thing with his past. And he struggled with the sin nature that lived within him. And how do I work through the struggle of my sin nature and then move forward in my life in Christ? Because there's a battle that goes on in our lives. We want to do good things, but then many times we make bad decisions. And Paul, in writing to the Romans, we're going to see in chapter 7 his struggle. And, and I believe all of us can relate to the Apostle Paul with this tension of this battle of struggling with our sin and our bad decisions. And so all of us have this inner tension that we wrestle with with our things and the things that we know that are wrong. And so what we talked about last week, it's okay to struggle in your life. We all have our different struggles but it's not okay when we give in to those struggles or, or we say that those struggles are okay. And that's where the struggle is. Where do we get to the point where we say, I'm struggling with this, I need help, but then not, not saying that this thing's okay and I'm just going to give up. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 14 through 20. This verse 
is a tongue twister to me because I think Paul says the word do like 45 times in here. So if I mess up, I'm sorry. But let's see what he says. And I believe this is going to relate to us and how we struggle uh, with our sinful nature. And this is what he says and start in verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And Paul is just brutally honest. Amen. He's brutally honest and, 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 and so, so right and so truthful. In verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. This is a, this is a tension. He's like, I want to do what's right, but then I do the wrong. I want to do what's right. But there's this thing inside of me. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do. Do, 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 right? <laughs> he says, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. You can see the frustration. And now I do what I do not want to do. It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now let's drop down to verse 24, same chapter. He finally says, with this struggle of struggling with this sin, he finally says, what a wretched man I am. But he doesn't stop there. Where does he find his hope? He says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he says in verse 25, this is our hope today, and this is my hope for you today. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen to God's word. There's our hope today. Now, what is Paul saying here? Because this can be a little confusing. What he's saying is he looks at the law and what the law does. We, we understand the law, you know, the do's and the do's and the don'ts and, and specifically the Ten Commandments, thou shall not. And Paul looks at the law and, and, and what the law basically does is it points to our sin. It shows us that God is holy and we are not. It shows us the things that God desires for our life, the things we ought not be doing in our life. So the law basically points to our sin. What the law does, it reveals our sin. But the purpose of the law is not just to be given to say how bad we are and how wrong you are and just leave us there. The law points to something greater, something that we need beyond ourselves. And the law points to a perfect Savior who, in Jesus Christ, who was God, is God, came to fulfill all the righteous requirements that God had. And he fulfills all those in his life for you and I. That's why Paul can say, listen, my only hope is in Christ Jesus because in myself, it's a futile attempt to try to be a righteous person. How many of you ever felt that way? One day you feel like you do really good things and you feel good about yourself. Then the next day you're like, you mess up. You know, we just mess up. And that's just part of the struggle of our human life and our human existence is trying to get through this world, right? And, and we're like, we, we do good things and then we do bad things. And Paul says the struggle within us is this sinful nature. We're going to wrestle with this sinful nature to the day we die. And until we get to heaven, for those that are followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to just have to wrestle with this. But is it hopeless? Is it just hopeless? Do I just give in to these sinful desires? deal with the struggle and how do I deal with my past and the struggles that I had in my past? Well, Paul says, listen, the law is good, 
Because it does show us what a holy God is. And the law wasn't given for us to try to perfect it because there's no way we could perfect all the different laws that God gave us. We are going to fail miserably. But the law does point to a perfect Savior in Jesus Christ. And that's our hope. And that was Paul's hope. So what happens is the law, what it does is it reveals our sinfulness and with that our guilt that we've fallen short of God's perfection. It's like, you know, for those of you that, uh, you, you know, you know, for those of you who like to go over the speed limit, right? And uh, you're driving along and you see the posted speed limit sign. So let's say it's, it's 55 and, and I can't drive 55. Uh, so it's like, okay, I can't drive 55. And you're going 70, you get pulled over and the officer says, do you know what the posted speed limit sign was? And you say, yeah, you know, uh, I don't know what it was. I don't know, right? And you know, it's 55. And there's, there's that guilt because you know what the law says. You know what the, but you're, you're breaking the law. And see, what, what Paul is saying, in our lives, we're breaking the law of God by the things we do and following our desires. See, we all need to understand that the proclivity of our heart is to serve us, is to serve me. And every single one of us, we're selfish. Can I get an amen? Aren't you glad you came this morning? Aren't you glad you came? We are. We, we want to take care of ourselves. That, that's that sinful nature wrestling. The proclivity of my heart is to want to take care of me. I want it my way. My, all of us think that our opinion is the best opinion. right? All of us think that our way is the best way. I don't know why that person thinks that way. Because my way is a better way. right? We all struggle with that sinful nature. And so if we understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here is we're no different from him. But is your past irreparable? Are we beyond repair? Did Paul just give up? No. But what he did do is that he was honest with his condition. He was honest with what was going on inside of him. See, the issue of not feeling worthy of forgiveness or feeling you need to forgive yourself is really a misunderstanding of the gospel. And here's what Paul does for us. He explains to us, where our hope lies and how we can overcome the struggle that we have in our life, in our past. Paul understood that his hope is found in Christ and only in Christ can he correctly battle his present sin, his past sin, and the sin that we're going to commit in the future. There's an interesting um, painting by Rembrandt. It's actually a beautiful painting by Rembrandt. It's called The Night Watch. It's It's a beautiful painting. It was painted in 1642, And it's estimated that this painting is worth $500. No, $500 million. A half a billion dollars that that, that this painting. So if you've got $500 million laying around your house or laying it in your bank that you'd like to spend on this, go ahead and buy that. But it's a beautiful, beautiful painting. And here's what makes this painting uh, so unique for you art lovers is that, first of all, it's huge in size. It's 12 by 14. Its use of light and shadow, its perception of, of motion, it's just a beautiful, beautiful painting. But what's, what I discovered about this painting is, is something that's a little more interesting, is that this painting was vandalized three times. Vandalized three times. One, twice with a knife. The first time someone went at it with a knife, it had so much varnish on it that it didn't do too much damage. But when they went to repair it, they took all the varnish off. Someone went at it again and then did rip it um, with a knife. And then the third time in 1990, someone, someone splattered acid on it. So this painting has been vandalized 
three times. And so they did restore the painting. However, it will always be scarred. It will have scars. The painting is not perfect. It has its imperfections. So do you and I. Every single one of us here have imperfections. Our lives are scarred by those imperfections, Paul says. And those scars remind us of our past. Some of you here today, you may have scars in your body, maybe from a, a, an injury, maybe from a uh, maybe a surgery that you had. And every time you see it, it reminds you of that surgery. Um, I've never, thank God, I've never had a surgery yet. You know, in my 56-year-old life, I've not yet to have any surgeries. But I do have a scar. I got a big scar on my uh, chin. You can't see it with my manly beard right now, but I do have a scar on my chin. And uh, when I received that scar, I was probably eight, nine years old, and um, I was swimming. Uh, at the YMCA, Maplewood YMCA in Rochester, and it was a winter day, and I forgot my swim towel. And so I had to run back into the locker room to get my towel. I didn't want to forget my towel. And the, um, the, the driver, the, 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 the carpool driver, was not a nice man. He ran that thing like a boot camp, and if you were a minute late, he would leave you and let you walk home. And he actually did that with one of our kids and our thing. He just left him and said, you got to walk home. And my dad's like, you got to go pick him up. And I think my dad ended up picking up. But anyway, it's a whole other story. He wasn't a very nice man. So I'm running back, so I didn't want to make the, 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 the driver mad. So I, I ran, I slipped running up the steps. And I fell right on the street, cut it wide open, you know. So I took my swim towel and I just put it over my chin. I didn't say anything. I got home. I didn't say anything. Next day, my mom was doing the laundry and she looks at the towel and she goes, why is there blood all over your... I go, mom, it was a rough practice, man. Their swim coach was just on us and really want us to work hard. I said, no, I fell on the steps and it was too late to get stitches. So I got this huge scar on my chin that reminds me of the day when I fell on the Maplewood YMCA steps. But let me say this. Every single one of us in this room have emotional scars. Every single one of us has some scar in our life that is there. Things that were done to us, maybe in a relationship, maybe things that fell apart, things that we said that we can't take back. See, how do we deal with these past regrets? Because these things are the things that can haunt our mind. How do we deal with those scars in our lives? Well, the Apostle Paul, looking back over his life, he had a lot of regrets, too, of the things he's done. And he tried to live a righteous life before the, before the Lord and tried to be a very religious person. Remember the Apostle Paul? He was actually persecuting Christians and that he is now one of us, one of the Christians, but he was persecuting them before he became a follower of Christ. And Paul had a lot of regrets in his life, too. But Paul in Romans 7 gets to what's underneath our lives. All of us are born with this sinful nature. And our sinful nature is what causes us, what draws us to do wrong things, to take care of ourselves, to want to do what we want to do. And Paul tells us this is our battle, that we're fighting against this flesh. Even as a follower of Christ, Paul says, I'm still battling this thing. And the only way I can overcome this thing is through my relationship with Christ. It's interesting how the world battles with their selfishness and sinful nature. You might hear things like, well, we need to uh, you know, look within ourselves. Uh, we need to allow ourselves to think that we're not that bad or maybe that we're intrinsically good. It may be simply saying something like, well, you know, I just need to give myself a pass or maybe just give myself more grace. Be true to yourself and who you are. I am who I am. Just deal with it, right? 
deal with me, right? But is that true? Is that true? Is that what Paul said? This is what Paul said about himself. In verse 18 he says, And I know nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Paul dealt with who he was in this nature, knowing that he needed help, that he needed a Savior to help him. See, the answer is not within me. That's not the answer. I need to find something from without that actually helps me. And this is why Paul has this plea where he says, I am wretched. Who can deliver me from myself? And so he knows that only Christ can help him. So how do we overcome our past? How do we overcome our guilt? Because we can't find it within ourselves. We, have to, we need help from without, our, from, from without. We need to be truthful with ourselves. So how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us the answer here. And Paul says the truth is we've all fallen short of God's perfection. But God didn't leave us there in our state of helplessness. But he sends us his only son, God himself, to die on a cross for you and I and bear the weight of our sin. He who was perfect bore our sin, bore the guilt of our sin to appease a holy God, our creator. Finding the truth within ourselves will only leave you empty. So what we need to do, like Paul says, we need to own our sin. We need to own it. We need to say, God, I've, I've fallen short of your perfection. I've, I've tried to do it myself. I've, I've tried to clean up myself. I've tried to be righteous in myself, but I do good for a while, and then I mess up. Listen to what 1 John 1, 8, 9 says. Here's the truth. It says, if we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess, there's the key. If we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. See, I think what happens is when when we admit our sins and we try to find help to overcome our past, sometimes we feel like, ah, should I do that? It's pretty sketchy. And God says, no, I know everything about you. You come and lay those things at my feet. There you will find my grace, and there you will find my mercy. You see, we need to be really careful in our day and age that we do not normalize the things that are out of God's will. I think what... I'm just going to get real with you. Can I get real with you for just a moment, okay? What I see in the church today, what we've seen over the last couple of years is things that God sees as very holy and very righteous. And we've taken those things and we've made them common. Or we, we have normalized them. And, and in our pursuit to try to help people in the struggles that they may have in their lives, we have to be very careful that we don't normalize things that God sees as wrong. So, so let me be. Let me let me tread real carefully here, okay? I love just everybody. I love you, okay? Everybody, take a deep breath. But I want to get very specific here because I think when we when we talk about sin, if we don't if we don't understand what that means, we can define sin in our own way and not even realize that we're out of God's will. 
And the only way that we can define God's will is understanding what his word says to us. And we believe that God's word is his infallible word. It's truth for us to help us to live the way that God desires to live. But let, let me, let me, I explained this last week. Remember, struggling with something is completely different than just saying it's okay. We all struggle with sin, but the moment we say it's okay and it's okay if I live this way is the moment we move away from God's standard for what he has for us. God can deal with our struggling. He can deal with that. And we can say, God, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help in these areas. But we normalize things and we just say, well, this is okay. Now we're moving away from God's standard and what God desires for us. So let me be, let me be specific because one of the very difficult things we're seeing in our country today is is on uh, the definition of what marriage is. What marriage is. God gives us very specific guidelines when it comes to marriage and purity. And what God calls marriage is not just a contract between two people. God actually sees marriage as a covenant, pure and holy, between a husband and a wife. Now, let me define this for you, because if we're not careful, I don't, I'm not trying to single out any one group of people. I, I'm talking to all of us, because every single one of us in this room struggle in some area of our life. Good, you're with me. Good, you're with me. Okay, just checking. We all do. And it's easy just to point out one group of people or someone that's struggling with something and just point them out and not realize that we have deviancies in our own life that we need to deal with. So let me explain what God means by purity. God desires our relationships to be pure. What do I mean by that? Does that mean we're never going to have mistakes? That means we're, no, that's not, that's not what God is saying. What he is saying is I have a standard. And the reason why I have a standard, God is our designer. God is the designer of marriage. But we have to remember that in our world and in our life, we struggle with sin. We struggle with this sinful nature. And in our struggle, we have to take our struggle and not back up and say, okay, God, I'm going to change your standards or your rules because I'm struggling with this. So now I'm going to normalize this to make myself feel better or make my sin feel better or make a group of people feel better. What we have to do is take God's word and then back ourselves up into God's word and say, God, what is your standard here? And so in doing that, what we need to do is say, God, am I obeying you in this area of my life or am I normalizing it? Am I changing it? So when Jesus is asked about marriage, what he does is he goes back to the creation story. And he goes back to Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, 24, Jesus says, he says this very simply, and, and, and he quotes this, that a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he should hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So in that, in that struggle of us trying to say, well, what if I don't have that desire? What if I don't have that feeling? Once again, we've got to back ourselves into what God has for us, his plan, his desire, his will. And there are many people that struggle because we all deal with a sinful world and a sinful nature. We all struggle with that. And in our struggle, we have to say, God, am I being obedient to you and what you want? And I've I've read a lot of books, listened to a lot of podcasts that people struggle with that side of their life. 
And what many have come to the conclusion of reading God's word and wanting to submit to God, what they say is, my obedience to Christ is greater than my desire. Listen, I don't want to minimize anyone's struggle. And if you are struggling, this church is a place for you. It is. And all our struggles, whatever you struggle with, when we admit that it's a struggle and we need God's help, God can deal with that heart. But what I don't want us to do is begin to manipulate God's word so that we can feel better about something that God says is wrong or this behavior that is wrong. And we need to submit ourselves to God and be obedient to his word so that we fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives as we struggle, as Paul says, as I fight this sinful nature. Only through Christ Jesus can we find this freedom. So how do I, how do I deal with this guilt and how do I find forgiveness in myself and, 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 and how do I understand what God's plan is and what God's will is? Well, let me be very specific. Can I be really specific with you? When the Apostle Paul talks about sexual immorality, he uses an interesting Greek word. And he uses this Greek word pornea. It's where we actually get the word pornography, but he uses this word pornea. And basically what that means is, is anything outside the covenant marriage bed. Anything. Anything. So let me, once again, let's, let me be real specific here, Right? That's anything outside the covenant marriage bed. In fact, the Hebrew writer says, keep the marriage bed pure. Why? Because this is a covenant that God sees between a man and a woman. In fact, Paul, in his writing, the best illustration he could give of our relationship with Christ and our oneness with Christ is he gives the example of the marriage relationship. Now, does that mean... Every marriage is perfect? No. Does that mean we struggle in our marriage? Absolutely. But once again, in our struggle, in our struggle, we're obedient to Christ and say, we need help. We need help in our marriage. I'm selfish. I need help. In our struggle, we confess our sins to the Lord so that he can help us in our relationships. You see, God's standard for righteousness and holiness, he has that because he wants the best for us. And he wants us to live in that freedom. And Paul says, the only thing sin does is makes me a slave and puts me into bondage. And Christ has come to set us free from those things. So when we admit it and we confess it, then what we are saying is, God, I need you and I need your help in these areas. And God can deal with us. I, had, I was speaking to somebody the other day that came to my office and they just said, I love the honesty. And they just said, Pastor, I've made a real mess of my life. And he says, I've really screwed up. I've made a lot of poor decisions, and he used some other choice words that I can't say right now, but, but he was just honest with his heart. And I said, you know what? God can deal with your heart because you're honest. God can deal with your heart because you're honest and realize that his grace and his mercy is available for you. 1 John 1, seven says this, But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
Isn't that wonderful? He cleanses us. See, I think there can be a big disconnect here because I think we may think, well, you're shaming people or the church just likes to shame people or point out all our wrongdoing or just making me feel bad. But I want you to understand, Jesus doesn't shame us in order for us to follow him. In fact, what Jesus does is he takes our shame and guilt and and hung on a cross for you and I. He came to give his life for you and I. I love, many of us know John 3.16, but we, we tend not to read the following verses after. You know, for God so loved the world. We, many of us know that verse. But look at what John 3.17-18 says. It says, For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only Son of God. What is, what is the key thing here? The key thing here is confession. It's not saying this is who I am or I need self-care. See, what condemns us is our unbelief. That's what condemns us. And this is what John is saying. What frees us is our confession. To say, Jesus, you are who you say you are, and I believe in you and change my unbelief. See, that's really what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind. I used to think this way. I used to want to do it my own way. And all of a sudden, there's a change of mind that I now believe in Christ and what he did for me. This is what frees us. What frees us is our confession. The story with King David when he's confronted with his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, um, it's interesting, his confession. Nathan the prophet comes to him, shares a story with him about a guy who does something really wrong. And, and David says, well, that man should, you know, that man's so wrong. And then Nathan looks at him and says, David, you're that guy. You're that man. And what David does is he realizes that he has totally sinned against the Lord. And in Psalm 51, you see David's heart. You see where David comes back to the Lord. And what David says in Psalm 51, 1 through 4, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and I know my sin is always before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. See, verse 4 is pivotal in finding freedom from our past. Verse 4 says, against you and against you alone have I sinned. It's not saying that when we sin, we don't hurt others, because our sin does hurt others. The ESV note says, the point here is that God is the ultimate judge for all sin. Thus, harming others is given not less weight, but more. See, at the end of the day, I'm not in control of forgiving myself. God is. And what David came to realize is that because of his waywardness, it broke his relationship with God. And David owned this sin. He didn't, he didn't say, well, you know, God, let me, you know, try to make an excuse. For, well, I was on, you know, I was looking out my window. I was on the roof. I saw another woman over there. You know, she was bathing. You know, I, you know I'm just a red-blooded guy. You know how that goes, God, you know? He didn't say it. Once he confessed it, he owned it. He said, this is wrong. And God, against you. Now, in his struggle, he gives that to the Lord and finds his forgiveness. And through Christ, we can find forgiveness for this reason, because Jesus paid the price for our guilt. 
So my question for you today is this. What's burdening you today? What, what's, what are you struggling with today? What, what are some things in your past that have burdened you and maybe past mistakes and maybe you feel like, man, I can't be forgiven for this thing. What things are you burdened with? Let me just say, God is not here to condemn you and to push you deeper and deeper down in the mud and leave you there. He did something for you that you can't do for yourself. And by sending his son, Jesus took on our sin. He who was sinless took on our sin to pay the price for our sin. That's where you find freedom in your relationship with Jesus Christ. He came to die in your place. That's a pretty incredible savior. And so now when we stand before a holy God, there is no more guilt or condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We are free. And so whatever you're carrying, whatever your burden you're carrying, lay that at his feet. That doesn't mean we still don't remember it, but it doesn't define us any longer. It should no longer hold us back for those that are in Christ Jesus. It no longer defines who we are. In Christ Jesus, we're a new creation, the word of God says. So here's the thing. What, what are you battling with? Your forgiveness is found in Christ, in Christ alone. That's what Paul tells us. Who can save me from this wretched man that I am? Praise be to God through Christ Jesus. That's where I find it. And maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, you know, there, there are some things that, that I'm doing that I know are out of God's will. I, I know are out of God's will. And what I would tell you is, be obedient to the Lord in that area. That doesn't mean you're not going to struggle with it, but don't normalize it and say it's okay. Call it for what it is. When David called it for what it is, the sin that, that, that he did, when he called it for what it is, that's where he found forgiveness and that's where his relationship with, with, with God was restored. God is all about reconciliation and restoring his relationship with you and he doesn't want you to walk in the burden of guilt and shame because we're not obedient to the Lord when he calls us to change. When he calls us to change our mind, which is repentance. So where are you today? Are you, are you battling with your past? Are you, are you battling with something that you, you know is wrong and you say, man, I, I do have to submit to this, to the Lord, to the Lordship of Christ. I would encourage you, do it. Submit to his Lordship and that's where you'll find his, his freedom. That doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. We're all going to struggle. Everybody say amen. We're going to struggle. But in our struggle, he is there to help you. And as the church, my prayer is as the church, that we would walk alongside each other in our struggle as we pray for each other, as we encourage each other to run this race in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to pray for you today. I know this was a hard message. I know this wasn't easy. But listen, as your pastor, I'm going to do all I can to shepherd you the way God has called me to shepherd you. And we care about you. And we want you to have that fullness of life that Jesus offers all of us who come to him and are just honest with him. God will receive you. He'll accept you. He's the one that does the changing. So may we allow Jesus to do the changing in our hearts and our lives. Amen. Father God, as we just bow our hearts before you, Lord, I just pray, Lord, for those that are battling with, with their past and regrets and maybe things that they've done, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would humble us, God. 
Lord, I, I pray for us also that, that we're not doing what we should be doing. That maybe there's something in our lives that is, is definitely not something that, that, that you desire for us or is out of your will or a behavior that's out of your will, God. I just pray that you would help us to realize, to become obedient to you in those areas and not allow that thing to grow its tentacles around our heart that would lead us further and further away from you, God. Lord, humble us. Maybe it's in our relationships where we need to humble ourselves and just ask for forgiveness. And by us not taking that step, Lord, it's, it's just wrapped its tentacles around our hearts and we've just become more bitter and bitter and bitter. Maybe it's a lifestyle change. Whatever it might be, God, Lord, speak to our hearts today. And I thank you for your grace and mercy that you're not going to push us away, that you're not going to condemn us, but you're going to receive us, that you will do the changing. And within that, we will find freedom and freedom in you, Jesus. So thank you for doing everything on our behalf. We love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. All God's children said, amen, amen.